Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And we tell stories about everything here on this show and our favorite subject, American history. And by the way, all of our American history stories are brought to us by the great folks at Hillsdale College. Go to hillsdale.edu to sign up for their terrific and free online courses. Stephen Ambrose was one of America's leading biographers and historians. And at the core of his success was his belief that history was biography, history was about people. Ambrose passed in the year 2002, but his epic storytelling accounts can now be heard here at Our American Stories, thanks to those who run his estates. Here's Stephen Ambrose to tell us the short story from the Wild Blue, the men and boys who flew the B-24s. And he told this story to a riveted audience. Here's Stephen Ambrose. The B-24 was built like a 1930s Mack truck except that it had an aluminum skin that could be cut with a knife. It could carry a heavy load far and fast, but it had no refinements. Steering the four-engine airplane was difficult and exhausting, as until late 1944, there was no power except the pilot's muscles. It had no windshield wipers, so the pilot had to stick his head out the side window to see during a rain. 
Breathing was possible only by wearing an oxygen mask above 10,000 feet in altitude. They were cold and clammy, smelling of rubber and sweat. There was no heat, despite temperatures that at 20,000 feet and higher got as low as 40 or even 50 degrees below zero. The wind blew through the airplane like fury, especially from the waste gunner's windows and whenever the bomb bay doors were open. The oxygen mask often froze to the wearer's face. If the men at the waist touched their machine guns with bare hands, the skin froze to the metal. There were no bathrooms. To urinate, there were two small relief tubes, one forward and one aft, which were almost impossible to use without spilling because of the heavy layers of clothing the men wore. Plus which, the tubes were often clogged with frozen urine. Defecating could be done only in a receptacle lined with a wax paper bag. A man had to be desperate to use it because of the difficulty of removing enough clothing and exposing bare skin to the Arctic cold. The bags were dropped out the waste windows or through the open Bombay doors, and often men would write on them, take that, Hitler. <laughs> There were no kitchen facilities, no way to warm up food or coffee, but anyway, there was no food, unless a crew member had packed in a sandwich. With no pressurization, pockets of gas in a man's intestinal tract could swell like balloons and cause him to double over in pain. There was no aisle to walk down, only the eight inch wide catwalk, running beside the bombs and over the Bombay doors. That's what you used to move forward and aft. It had to be done with care, as the aluminum doors, which rolled up into the fuselage instead of swinging out on hinges, had only a 100-pound capacity. So if you slipped on that catwalk and fell, you were gone. The seats were not padded, could not be reclined, and were cramped into so small a space that a man had almost no chance to stretch and none whatsoever to relax. Absolutely nothing was done to make it comfortable for the pilot, the co-pilot, or the eight other men in the crew, even though most flights lasted for eight hours, sometimes 10, very occasionally more than 10, never less than six. The plane existed and was flown for one purpose only, carry 500 or 1,000 pound bombs and drop them accurately over enemy targets. It was called a liberator. Consolidated along with the Ford Motor Company, Douglas Aircraft Company, and North American Aviation, together the liberator production pool made more than 18,300 liberators. That was 5,000 more than the total number of B-17s. The Liberator was not operational before World War II and was not operational after the war. All those B-24s were squished up by bulldozers because America needed the aluminum and we were going over to jet airplanes in any event. There's one still flying today. The number of people involved in making it, in servicing it, and in flying the B-24, outnumbered those involved with any other airplane in any country 
at any time. There were more B-24s than any other American airplane ever built. It would be an exaggeration to say that the B-24 won the war for the Allies. But don't ask how they could have won it without it. The pilots and crews of the B-24s came from every state and territory in America. They were young, fit, eager. They were sons of workers, doctors, lawyers, farmers, businessmen, educators. A few were married, most were not. Some had an excellent education. Others were barely, if at all, out of high school. They were all volunteers. The U.S. Army Air Corps, after 1942, the U.S. Army Air Force, did not force anyone to fly. They made the choice. Most of them were between the ages of 2 and 10 in 1927, when Charles Lindbergh flew the Spirit of St. Louis from Long Island to Paris. For many boys, this was the first outside the family event to influence them. It fired their imagination. Like Lindbergh, they wanted to fly. And my goodness, what a story. When we come back, more of Stephen Ambrose's story of the B-24s and the men who flew them here on Our American Stories. Here at Our American Stories, we bring you inspiring stories of history, sports, business, faith, and love. Stories from a great and beautiful country that need to be told. But we can't do it without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love our stories in America like we do, please go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. 
With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we continue with Stephen Ambrose on the story of the boys who flew America's B-24s. Let's continue where we last left off with Stephen Ambrose. In their teenage years, they drove Model T Fords or perhaps Model A's if they drove at all. Many of them were farm boys. They plowed behind mules or horses. They walked to school, one, two, sometimes even more miles. Most of them, including the city kids, were poor. If they were lucky enough to have jobs, they earned a dollar a day, sometimes less. They seldom traveled. Many had never been out of their home counties. Even most of the more fortunate had never been out of their home states. Of those who were best off, only a handful had ever been out of the country. Almost none of them had ever been up in an airplane. A surprising number had never seen an airplane. But they all wanted to fly. Their patriotism was beyond question. They wanted to be a part of smashing Hitler, Tojo, Mussolini, and their thugs. But they wanted to choose how they did it. They wanted to get off the ground, be like a bird, see the country from up high, travel faster than anyone could do while attached to the earth. More than electric lights, more than steam engines, more than telephones, more than automobiles, more even than the printing press, the airplane separated past from future. It had freed mankind from the earth and opened the skies. They were astonishingly young. Many joined the Army Air Forces as teens. Some never got to be 20 years old before the war ended. 
Anyone over 25 was considered to be and was called an old man. In the 21st century, adults would hardly give such youngsters the key to the family car. But in the first half of the 1940s, the adults sent them out to play a critical role in saving the world. Most wanted to be fighter pilots, but only a relatively few attained that goal. Many became pilots or co-pilots on two or four engine bombers. The majority became crew members, serving as gunners or radio men or bombardiers or flight engineers or navigators. Never mind, they all wanted to fly, and they did. On the 50th anniversary of VE Day, I was with Joe Heller, who was a bombardier with the 12th Air Force, uh, flying out of Italy. And Heller said to me in the course of a conversation, I never had a bad officer. Astonished, I said, Joe, you're the man who created Major, Major, Major. <laughs> Colonel Cathcart, General Dreidel, Lieutenant Minderbender, and so many others. Everybody in the world knows these people. How can you tell me you never had a bad officer? They were all invention, he replied. Every single officer, from when I went into the service to going over to Italy to flying the missions to when I got discharged, every one of them was good. In the course of interviewing George McGovern for this book, I told him what Heller had said to me. McGovern agreed immediately. That's my experience, he said. I was impressed by the pilots, the bombardiers, the navigators right across the board and with the operations officers and our group commander. I thought they were a superior bunch of men and I can honestly say I don't recall a bad officer. All through combat, I had confidence that our officers were doing the very best they knew how. If they made mistakes, they weren't foolish mistakes. Our officers were superb. <clears throat> Obviously, there were some weak, some poor, some inefficient or ignorant, and some absolutely terrible officers in the U.S. Armed Services in World War II. But if such men ever got into combat positions, the AAF, the Army, the Navy, or the Marines got them out at once. Men's lives depended on them after all. The combat officers knew it and acted accordingly. Asked the Germans who opposed them how good they were, or the Japanese. The American officers were superb. And that is the way it was in the 741st Squadron, 455th Bomb Group in Sheragnola, Italy. Now, when men arrived in Sheragnola in September of 1944, they saw tacked up in the briefing room words to the song As Time Goes By, written by Anonymous. Now, I'm not a singer, but I can't resist this one. You must remember this. The flack can't always miss. Somebody's got to die. The odds are always too damned high as flack goes by. It's still the same old story. The eighth gets all the glory. Well, we're the ones who die. The odds are always too damned high as flack goes by. 
I want to talk for just a minute about the strategic bombing campaign. Critics have said that all of that productive power that went into it, 18,300 of those planes, all of the AAF's teaching uh, effort would have been much better spent if they had trained these guys as infantrymen or as sailors. And we could have won the war sooner because they never hit what they were what they were dropping at ever and it was just a waste that's not true they did hit what they were aiming at far more often than not and they paralyzed the german army hitting rail yards marshalling yards railroad bridges brought the German train traffic to a halt. Bombing the refineries, Ploesti and the others, was so successful that in April 1944, when the Germans had all the gasoline they needed, 100%, less than a year later, the late winter of 1944-45, they were down to 1%. That meant they couldn't train tank crews, they couldn't even drive tanks on the battlefield. They had to dig their tanks in, make them into fixed field fortifications. This is Germany, the home of Mercedes and so many other manufacturers of automobiles and trucks. They had no gasoline. They were reduced to being a horse-drawn army trying to fight a 20th century war. And that was thanks to the strategic bombing campaign. At the end of my interview with McGovern, that had lasted for weeks, um, I asked him to sum up his war experience. With his answer, he spoke for every airman, every GI, Every sailor, every Marine, every Coast Guard man of World War II. Piloting a B-24 in combat with nine other guys took every ounce of physical energy I had, every bit of mental abilities I had, and literally every shred of spiritual resource that I had. I can't recall any other stage of my life unless it was the closing days of the 72 presidential campaign that so demanded everything I had. I gave that World War II effort everything except my life itself. And I was ready to give my life. It literally exhausted every resource of mind and body and spirit that I had. I replied, Thanks for what you did to help win the victory and thus save the world. I always say something like that at the end of every interview with a veteran of the war, because it is the truth. And a special thanks to Stephen Ambrose's estate, and a special thanks to Hillsdale College, where you can go to study all the things that are beautiful in life, all the things that matter in life. Go to hillsdale.edu to sign up for their free and terrific online courses. Stephen Ambrose, telling it like no one else can here on Our American Stories. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 